We're in 2 Samuel chapter 24, the last chapter, the last verses of chapter 24, 18 through 25. At the beginning of chapter 24, David has insisted on counting the people of Israel. And he sends Joab out to take this census. And Joab comes back with numbers. And it's 1.3 million soldiers. Uh, That's quite a massive army that is at David's disposal. However, as soon as David receives the number, when he gets this number of soldiers and troops, his heart condemns him of his sin. And David confesses, I have sinned greatly. In the book of Exodus, God forbid the numbering or counting of the people. David's general, Joab, tried to discourage David from taking this census, but David was intent. He wanted to know the number of soldiers that he had at his disposal. And it takes a while for this census to be taken. And Joab is out nine and a half months gathering the numbers of Judah and Israel. And when David receives that number, his heart condemns him. We all have goals and desires And many times, once we achieve these goals and desires, they can be empty. There can be no satisfaction in our achievements. Michael Jordan, great basketball player, voted the most valuable player in the league several times, became bored with basketball. So he wanted to try baseball. He didn't make it in baseball. I guess he couldn't hit a curve or whatever. (laughs) But he didn't make it. But here he was the greatest basketball player in the world. And that wasn't enough for him. So he went and tried the next year. He went and tried baseball. But David is right there. He receives the number of the people of Israel. The number of the troops. And his heart condemns him. And David wonders, why did I insist on counting the people? Our question becomes, why does David want to know the number of the troops he has? Does David want to increase his kingdom? Does he want to go to war with a neighboring country? Israel is prospering. Israel is growing. By the number of soldiers, we can easily estimate the population of Israel was around 6 million people. And it's sort of what it is today, about the same number. But regardless, David is lifted up in pride. And he is blind to that pride. Until sin confronts him. 
And in a moment, David realizes his great sin. And his sin is not against fellow man, but it is against God himself. God claimed Israel as his own people. God was sovereign over Israel, and God took the nation of Israel as his personal people. And God sends a prophet to, to uh, David, and the prophet's name is Gad. And Gad has a message for David. Choose the penalty that God is going to give you. You get to pick your own medicine here, David. Are you wanting to suffer famine for six years? Do you want to flee from your enemies for three months? Or do you want to fall under a plague from God for three days? David chooses the plague from God. And it's not a light plague. 70,000 people die from the hand of God's death angel in a short, short period. We do not know how this angel killed so many so quickly. But God sees the angel approaching Jerusalem and he calls a halt to the angel's uh, killing. David, he is devastated by the number of people that have died and he blames himself and he says, God, I have sinned. Let your judgment come upon me and against my house. I'm the one who sinned. But back in verse 1 of chapter 24, God's anger was aroused against the people of Israel. It wasn't only David. God is angry with the whole country. I wonder if God's anger ever becomes aroused against our nation. Could it be we have a system of government that rules over us that reflects the very type of government we the people are? But David, his sin in numbering the people, it remains. And God is correcting David and Israel via this plague where 70,000 have died. And then David receives instructions from God as to what he is to do. So let's pick up in chapter 24, verses 18 through 25. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, so David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Aruna looked, and he saw the king and his servants coming towards him. So Aruna went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. When Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. 
Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements for the yoke of the oxen for wood. And all these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. <clears throat> and Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers of the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. David receives word he is to build an altar, an altar of sacrifice. And he's to build it on the threshing floor that belongs to Aruna. God has instructed David the very spot, the very place he wants this altar to be built. On Aruna's threshing floor. And that threshing floor has a dynamic past and future history to that very spot. This threshing floor was on Mount Moriah. This is the same place where Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It is the same place where Jesus will die upon a cross. And David, he goes up to the threshing floor of a, and Aruna wants to give David this property. Take it, my Lord. But David says, no, I won't take it. I must buy this from you for a fair price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. David is saying there has to be a cost. There has to be, quote, unquote, a sacrifice on my life for the offerings that I will offer. So David buys the floor, 50 shekels of silver. This also happens to be the very area, this threshing floor, where Solomon will build the future temple for the Lord. And this is the temple that David was forbidden to build. But David, he does build this altar where he offers burnt offerings and peace offerings. And God accepts David's offering and answers the prayer for the plague to be withdrawn. God has accepted it. Okay, David, I'm going to withdraw. Now, if we only see the results of David's sacrifice and the hearing of God answering prayers, then we miss the lesson of true devotion to the Lord and repentance that David offers. David's sacrifice and offering satisfies God's requirement of a true peace offering. David has declared openly, my sacrifice and my offering must cost me something. If David does not buy 
this threshing floor, then the threshing floor, this, this uh, sacrifice will be known as Aruna's sacrifice. But this sacrifice by David, it had to be personal. It had to cost David something. What is a sacrifice? Well, it's something that has a cost to it. Jesus became our sacrifice for our sin. It cost him his life. A sacrifice must have a cost. Fast forward a few hundred years. Jesus is in the temple built on this spot at Jerusalem. And he wants to observe how people are giving their offerings. So turn with me to Mark 12. and We'll look at verse 41 through 44. Mark 12. Verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich, rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. In this passage, we find Jesus, he's there in the temple, and he's teaching. But notice, Jesus has positioned himself opposite the offering box. He's watching how people give their offering. Now, we try to be discreet about that. But Jesus watches. And then, you know, the rich come in and they put in out of their abundance and then this one poor widow comes in and she drops in two small copper coins. Now, their offering receptacle was kind of like an upside-down bugle. It had a funnel in and it was made out of brass and you could hear the coins go into this offering box. But Jesus recognizes her as being poor probably by the way she dressed, and also by her offering. Jesus knows a lot about her. He knows that she's give all that she had. Jesus wants his disciples to understand the cost of this poor widow's sacrificial offering. And he tells the disciples, she has put in more than all the rest combined. She has given all she had. Her entire livelihood. Jesus wants his disciples to consider 
that she's giving everything. She gives all. Everybody else that is giving is giving out of what? Their abundance. Now, here at our church, we do not harass, beg, or plead about giving. We don't do it. We do not have fundraisers. As disciples of Christ, we are allowed to support his kingdom. We're allowed to, not required to, allowed to. As a church, we try to be good stewards of the monies given here. And we're in the process of replacing this lovely blue carpet that you see. It's only been here about 25 years. It's time for it to go. <laughs> so in the near future, we're going to have a work day where we rip up all this old carpet and move the furniture and let the carpet layers put in new carpet. So stay tuned. Announcements will come. <laughs> but back to the giving. We are to find ways to give that has a cost to it, i.e. sacrifice. Our giving unto the Lord is to be a sacrifice. It's to have a cost to us. David and this widow, two believers, one is very rich, one is very poor. But both find a way to give that has substance. David wouldn't dare offer his sacrifice on a piece of land that was given to him. He bought it. We are to consider what and how we are giving. We're part of God's kingdom. His kingdom is supported by us. I think our giving should always be systematic, not a spur of the moment. Plan out what you're going to give and give and be faithful to that giving. Giving should be a constant in a believer's life. It should be ongoing. Not only of our monies, goodness no but our time, our talents. I personally, Lori and myself, we give offerings and we tithe, but I also want to give the Lord more than my monies. So what do I give the Lord? I give him early mornings. Every day. I rise real early. I guess I can't sleep in. But I give them the early mornings. Before my activities take over and command my attention, I give the Lord early mornings. Giving of time and service. 
giving of time and service to our Lord in our busy schedules shows our dependence upon him, shows our love towards him, shows him we desire a relationship with him. David said it best, I will give nothing to the Lord that cost me nothing. He's not going to do it. Jesus drew attention to this widow's offering. Question for you. This widow put in all she had. Do you think for one moment that she went hungry? No. Do you think she went without because she gave her last all she had? No. I'm telling you, God provided for her. You know he did. Our Lord, observing this poor widow, observing David, he watches how we give of ourselves. What do you give of yourself to the Lord? I say to you, you have to purpose in your heart that you will give cheerfully or don't bother. And let your gift have a cost to it. Let it have a cost. Let it be more than, uh, you know, a gratuity. Let it have a cost. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.